I invite you to join me this afternoon in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's actually not going to be our passage for this morning, but I want to, or this afternoon, but I want to start there. 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's a passage I often find myself returning to on uh, days like today, Independence Day, July 4th, as we look back, as we meditate on the freedom that we have in America. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Therefore I exert, first of all, most importantly, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Pray for all men. Pray specifically for those who are in places of authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. What does that sound like? Freedom. Pray for the freedom to live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Pray for the freedom to live out your faith without persecution. Quiet and peaceable. To what end? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Pray for the freedom to live out your faith to the end that the gospel goes forth and people are saved. Freedom has a purpose, and that purpose is the proclamation of the gospel, and freedom has a goal, and that goal is the salvation of souls. We often don't think of freedom in that way, do we? We often think of freedom as the opportunity to do what I want. But there's a purpose to your freedom as a believer. You are called to steward your freedom just as you were called to steward everything. In Christ, freedom takes on a different meaning, a different purpose. And that purpose is the spreading of the gospel. I think it's important that we start there because we're going to end up, I invite you now to join me, in Revelation 21. Just the first eight verses. But I wanted to start there because as you think about the songs we have just sung, specifically that last one, Count Your Blessings, one of the blessings that we as Americans have the privilege of counting, perhaps one of the greatest blessings, is the freedom to do the very thing that Paul encourages Timothy and the Ephesian believers to pray for. Pray that you will live a peaceable life. Pray for those in authority that they will give you the freedom to do what God has called you to do. And we sit here today and we count that as one of our blessings. We have freedom. In fact, this very day, we are celebrating that. Independence Day, we're celebrating the freedom that God has given us, placing us here in America. I love this country and I'm thankful for the freedom that I have as an American. Just this very morning, we gathered as the church 
We boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without fear of repercussion from the government. We sing loudly. We brought our Bibles. Even now, by the grace of God, we sit with full stomachs, with Bibles open, with hearts full. And we have no fear of the government. We have the freedom to live our lives peaceably. We have the freedom to live godly in this present age. That's a blessing worth counting. A day like today, it is good for us to set it aside and to recognize, to praise the Lord for the country in which we live, for the freedom that we have, and specifically as believers, the freedom that we have to obey what God has called us to do. It's sad, but so often we kind of take the mindset of, well, you know, if, if persecution would come, then we would really proclaim the gospel. If persecution would come, then the church would really wake up. That's not what the Bible says. Yes, it's true that in perseverance, the gospel perseveres, even in persecution, the gospel perseveres. The gospel goes forth and the church grows. But what the Bible says is that even in times of freedom, the gospel should go forth and the church should thrive. Your freedom is not an excuse to be lazy. Your freedom is a call to go and to make disciples. It's worth celebrating. It's worth praising the Lord for. So as we count our blessings, one of the great blessings that we count is the privilege of living in America, the privileges that we have, the freedom that we have. Yet if we're honest with ourselves, so often we, specifically as believers, tend to waste that freedom, do we not? We don't steward our freedom well. The purpose of freedom is not the fulfillment of my desires. As Paul teaches here in 1 Timothy 2, 1-6, the purpose of freedom is the proclamation of the gospel, and the goal of freedom is the saving of souls. And yet, as believers, as we meditate on the freedom that we have to gather, the freedom that we have to worship, the freedom that we have to live godly and peaceful lives, even as we rejoice in that now, our minds should be drawn to a greater land, to a better freedom. Because ultimate freedom, true freedom, is not found in America, it's found in eternity in Christ. We love this land and we pledge our allegiance to this land, but may our allegiance to America never supersede our allegiance to Christ. We celebrate this country, but we long for a better land, a land that is truly the land of the free. And with that, I invite you to look with me at Revelation 21, the first eight verses. This is truly the land of the free. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, 
saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we gather right now, as we exercise the very freedom that we have, that you have given us in this land, we rejoice in the privilege that we have to live in this great country. The freedom that you have given us. And yet, Heavenly Father, we recognize that our freedom is not given to us for our purposes, but for yours. Pray that you would give us eyes to see, to go and to live faithful lives and to share the gospel. That we would not be a people who waste our freedom, but who use it for your glory in the proclamation of the gospel. And we long for a better day. We are thankful for this land, but we long for a better land. Heavenly Father, I pray that even in this hour, as we look at this passage, that we would be encouraged, that we'd be challenged, that you'd be honored in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. As you look at this passage, you see two things. First, all things new. And then in verses 5 to 8, all things right. So you come to Revelation 21.1, the context coming out of Revelation 20, specifically verses 10 to 15, is that all the sinners of all ages, Satan and his demons, have all been cast into the lake of fire. This kind of fits with our theme where we've been in Daniel, in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 backs up and takes a big look at history and you see these nations that rise up and oppose God. You see this little horn that rises up out of this beast, makes war with God that is cast down, and God's kingdom comes and is established. As we jump from Daniel all the way to Revelation 21, that's where we find ourselves in history. The culmination of all things. Sinners of all ages, Satan and his demons have been cast into the lake of fire. 
John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now I saw. That phrase, I saw, it's used throughout Revelation to indicate a chronological progression. We are moving from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. In fact, you don't have to write all these down because I'm going to say them quickly, but just to give you an idea of how often this is used in Revelation. It's used in chapter 6, verses 1, 2, 5, 8, 12, chapter 7, verse 2, chapter 8, verse 2, and 13, chapter 9, 1, chapter 10, verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1, and 11, chapter 14, verses 1, and 6, and 14, chapter 15, verse 1, chapter 16, verse 13, chapter 17, verse 3, chapter 19, verse 11, 17 and 19, chapter 20, verses 1, 4, and 11, and here in 21, 1. It's a well-established pattern. We're moving from one thing to the next. These things are happening in chronological progression. So following the casting of sinners and Satan, his demons, into the lake of fire, John sees a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This new heaven and this new earth is not a new concept. It goes back to Isaiah 65, 17, Isaiah 66, 22. A promise by God that I will make all things new. It's the very promise that God's people cling to, is it not? That God is doing something. That this world is not the end. That he will make all things new. He will fulfill all that he has said. And it's interesting, the first earth and uh, first heaven and first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So we see that this new earth is not simply new because it's next. It's new because it is different as well. There's literally no more sea. And yet there's also a picture here. If you remember in Daniel... These beasts that rise up in Daniel 7, they rise up out of what? The sea. The sea is the picture of this mass of humanity. It is chaos. It is rebellion. In this new heaven, in this new earth, there is literally no more sea. And there is also no more rebellion. There is no more chaos. There is order. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. This is the third Jerusalem that we see in Scripture. The first is the historical city, uh, even the current city. The second is the capital of Christ's kingdom, and this is the third capital of the new earth. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, its origin. Prepared as a bride and adorned for her husband. It is complete. It is ready for consummation. It is ready for what God has prepared it for. There is nothing more to be completed. All is done. And God is bringing about what he has promised. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God 
is with man. God is pitching his tents with man, dwelling, literally living in the presence of God. In fact, that's a very important point. It's so important, in fact, that he repeats it three times here. The tabernacle of God is with men. God is dwelling in their midst. And he will dwell with them. It's the same thing. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. It's like he doesn't want you to miss this. God is going to live with you. He's going to dwell with you. He's going to be with you. Don't you get this? God is going to be in your midst. That's the first thing that we see. That this new land to which we look, it is truly the land of the free. Because there is freedom from sin, its penalty, and all the remnants of its curse. There is no more sin. There is no more separation from God. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God, verse 4, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Think about that. That is a phenomenal verse. God will wipe away every tear. We cry now. We live in a difficult land. <laughs> we all go through times where we cry. And God has provided for that. Brothers and sisters in Christ who will come alongside, who will wipe our tears, and yet there's a coming day when it is God himself who will come by and wipe our tears. The picture here is not necessarily that there will be tears in heaven. In fact, we'll see that there will be no sorrow nor crying. The idea here is that it is God who comes intimately close and cares for us. In fact, turn with me to Isaiah 12, if you will. And you can go ahead and, and mark that. We'll turn here again. Isaiah 12. It's a little tiny chapter. Just six verses. It's a song, a hymn of praise. In the midst of Isaiah, and what it is, it's a little chapter, a little song that looks forward to this very day. And I love the very first line in here, which pictures this very thing, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Chapter 1 says, verse 1 says this, And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. There is coming a day when God's anger will be turned away. In fact, it is in Christ turned away. And he comforts us. I love that picture in Isaiah 12. That picture of a God who is angry. A God who is justly wrathful toward me. And yet that very God who is against me is the one who turns and comforts me in Christ. That's what we see here in Revelation 21. It is God who will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The separation from God is gone. There will be no more death. There is freedom from sin, its penalty, and all the remnants of its curse. Death is gone. Sadness and disappointment are gone. Sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. 
True freedom is found in the presence of God. This chapter, these verses are basically the opposite of everything that Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. I looked and I tried and it was vanity. Vanity of vanities. And John says, in this day, in this land, vanity will be gone. God will be in the midst of his people. God will care for his people. Sin and death and sorrow and pain and crying and every remnant of the curse of sin will be gone. Death and hell and Satan and his demons will be cast into the lake of fire and we will be truly free. That is the true land of the free to which we long. goes on, verse 5. All things will be made right. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I. In fact, note through here how many times he says the word I. This is God who is speaking. In verse 5, I. Verse 6, I am. And I. In verse 7, I. This is God's doing. Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. I kind of find that humorous. It's as if John has gotten lost in what he has seen. And he's writing, he's recording all this, and it's as if he's kind of stopped. And he's just sitting there, mouth wide open, gasping at this land of the free for which his heart longs. And he's trying to take it all in, and it's as if God's kind of getting his attention, like, keep keep writing. Write this down. I want you to see this. This is true and faithful. It is sure. He said to me, it is done. It is done. This is sure. It will come. Because I am the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. It is done because of who I am. will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Reminds us of Jesus' words in John 7, does it not? All who are thirsty, come to me. Go back to Isaiah 12, if you you will. This little hymn of hope. It starts out with those who are guilty, those who are God who is angry with, and God turns to them and comforts them. Verse 1. Verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. This very God who was against me, this God who was angry with me, he's the one who's become my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, verse 3, it's the same thing that we see here. I will give, verse 3 here, Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw draw water from the wells of salvation. There is no end to this abundant well of salvation. And that is the very thing that we see here in verse 6. I will give of the fountain of the water of life, the wells of salvation, freely to him who thirsts. 
This land of which we read here in Revelation 21 is a land of satisfaction. It's a land of completion. It's the land of the free. He who overcomes, he who is victorious in Christ and shall inherit all things, as God promised, Romans 8, 16 to 25. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorceries, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They have no place in this land. Those in Christ will inherit all that God has promised. Those in sin will inherit the wages of their sin. Eternal damnation. Separation from God. This is the freedom that we long for. This is the hope that we have in Christ. This is the message that we proclaim. God is making all things new. And God is faithful. America is great. And we rejoice in the freedom that we have. But heaven is better. And we long for that land. And passage like this leaves us in awe. If you're like me, as you read a passage like this, you're just sitting there in awe. What God has done. We long for that land. It renews our longing to be with him. So may the vision of this future, this promise, capture our minds and our hearts. May it give us strength to endure in this time. In this land. This time in which we find ourselves when all is not right in the world. When death and hell, when pain and crying, when the devil still roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This passage gives us strength to endure. This passage gives us hope for the future. Look what my God will do. I can endure now because I know what's coming. May a passage like this also light a fire in us to proclaim the truth of the gospel in this age. We're not called to sit here, to huddle together, to twiddle our thumbs, to sing songs in this building. We're called to worship, but we are also called to go. We have a commission in this age, in this time. Go and make disciples. Go and tell of that land of the free that is coming. Don't waste the freedom that you have in America. Proclaim a better freedom, a better land. Share the gospel. We're going to close with a doxology. A simple song, but I think it captures well the response to a, song, to a passage like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.